We are back. It's Friday, February 12th, and you're listening to a brand new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. To kick things off, in this episode, Symphony of Nine, frontman, singer-songwriter, filmmaker, director, actor, Scott Dion Brown joins me in studio, as well as we cap things off with a live in-studio performance by Scott. You're going to enjoy that, and so much more starts now. Attack. Shit a damn. Shit a damn, as they say. What does that even what does shit a damn shit a damn mean? I remember I remember uh, as a kid I'd heard our priest say shit a damn and I always thought he was so badass for saying that. Shit Shit a damn. Welcome, welcome. You're listening to a brand spanking freaking new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. Coming at you from Lemon Press Studios in the Distillery District, downtown Toronto. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. It has been a while. It's been, I don't know, like, last episode that was posted was October 30th, I believe. And by I believe, I mean yes. Absolutely, positively, that was the one. Anyway, welcome back. I'm back. We're on schedule. New episodes coming at you every Tuesday and Friday. We're doing this. We're back. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking by to those listening to this right meow. Right meow. Oh, today's episode. What a good one. What a doozy, as they say. Symphony of Nine frontman, singer-songwriter. You heard it in the intro off the top there. Scott Dion Brown. Stops by Lemon Press Studio. Two corrections I have to make in the interview. I referred, I called his mother Maria. His mother's name is Marie, I do believe. Pretty sure. I was listening to the interview over again, piecing it together, and I said Maria twice. I'm pretty confident it's Marie. And Scott, being a nice guy, never corrected me on it, so thanks for making me look like a dickhead, nice guy. And uh, what a great chat. We had Scott is a great guy, talented musician, an actor, and filmmaker. I just shot a scene in the short film he just wrote and directed. And uh, just an all-around good guy, good chat. And we finished the the interview with an acoustic performance of a song, previously unreleased song, a Julian Dion Comedy Hour exclusive called In Control by Symphony of Nine. Of course, it's an acoustic version played by Scott in studio. Scott Dion Brown, SDB, 
Anyway, I'm going to enjoy the interview and all of that good stuff. Another uh, little thing I made. I'm, bit, I'm rusty at the controls here. I'm rusty at the in the hot seat because I, um, I do a live read ad in the middle of the episode for Echo One Photography. Who else? I do a live read and there's music playing in the back round. And the ad finishes and the music keeps going for like for like three instrumental songs, two and a half instrumental songs. So almost five minutes you're going to hear a little background music. It sounds like Scott and I are doing a long ad, but we're just back to the interview. You'll see what I mean. It's kind of funny, a little bit irritating, but kind of funny. And uh, I couldn't, because I couldn't hear the, the track in my cans. I could only, uh, I only at one point noticed on the on the computer I could see that it was picking up something when I wasn't talking and then I realized shit the music was still on in the background track and I couldn't remove it anyway long story not long technical long technical story short it's uh it's it's a little weird but you hear (laughs) a long advertisement by Scott Dion Brown did I mention Scott Dion Brown is my guest today you're gonna love this guy Anyway, what have you been up to? Uh, have Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Yep, I'm I'm clinging on to that. I miss the holidays already. I miss just doing nothing. Back to the grind, back at it. I've got a bunch of episodes in the can, ready to go. Interviews, I should say. And uh, so look for those. We're back on a regular schedule every Tuesday and Friday. I said, oh, why do I keep repeating myself? Oh, here's why, because I don't have notes. Maybe I should have notes. Uh, I've been up to a lot over the last little bit. I'll I'll go into I'm gonna do a solo pod soon and and catch you up on everything that's happening with me. But I've been um, I've been up to many things, doing a lot of stand up and traveling and all this kind of stuff. I also got a flip phone. That's the newest thing in my life. It's now three months old. I decided I was sick of my iPhone 5. I just couldn't do it. I was just, it was taking over my life. I couldn't think anymore for myself. And every thought that I had was pretty cynical and negative. I would always be in, like useless shit. I would be, any free second I had, free time, I would find myself whipping out my phone. I didn't think I was going to say phone there. Whipping out my phone, and whether it was like at a red light in traffic or here at the studio or at home, I'd just be scrolling my Facebook, all useless shit, scrolling my use, useless Facebook feed or my Instagram, just going through. And rarely, re- almost never, would I ever feel better after doing that. I'd never be like, oh, I just spent 52 minutes on Facebook. Oh, that was a good decision. I feel inspired and motivated now. I was always... Again, cynical. I always scroll through my feed with the most cynical eyes. I don't know why. I just like, fuck that guy. Fuck this person. Because it's all image crafting. And you know these people in real life. Life. And yet, you know what they're putting out there. Ah, I won't get into it. But it drives me nuts. So I decided to uh, downgrade to a flip phone. I thought I'd been wanting to do it since last January 2015 as a New New Year's resolution. But just hadn't gotten around to it. So I figured, finally, I'll do it. And so I went to, uh, I was actually back home in Skidook, New Brunswick, visiting at the time when I did it. And uh, I went to a Bell store there in in uh, Champlain Place in Dieppe. And I go there and I tell the, the woman, the sales rep, she must have been like 22 years old. 
I tell her, and there's it's all flip phone uh, or smartphones rather, all displayed everywhere. And there's one dusty, lonesome flip phone displayed in the shadows. And so I go up to that thing. I'm looking at it. It's like, oh hey, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, I want to buy this phone. She's like, she 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 thought for sure I wasn't in the cell phone game. This was my first. My first piece of hardware, so I'm like, no, I have this phone right now. I show her my iPhone, and I want to get this. She could not believe what I was saying. It was like I was speaking another language. She's like, are you sh- are you sure? She asked me if I was sure like 15 times. She kept telling me it's a big, it's a really big lifestyle change. Like, everything's going to change. I'm like, I got this. Don't worry. I want that phone. A hundred bucks, by the way. For the flip phone, it was either I get a contract for two years with this thing, or I buy it outright. So I have decided to buy it for a hundred bucks. So I own it. That's right. I, thirty-two years old, and I own my own flip phone. I'm making strides in life, peeps. Anyway, we get to the counter. She, she, she's like, "All right, you're sure?" She takes me to the counter. It's and it's not a very busy day there, so like other staff, other sales reps come and they're like circling. They're like, "Oh my god, like, is this guy? Is he all right? Are you sure this is not an impulse thing?" I'm like, "Trust me, I just want." It. She's like, "All you can do with this phone is text and call." I'm like, "Perfect, that's what I want." I even went a step further and paid the dollar extra a month to block the web browser. Remember those? Remember there's like a button, it's like web, you never ever used it, but once in a while it'd be in your pocket, you'd hit that and get like a $900 bill before like before data plans was a, was a thing. So they have this old grandfathered thing uh, that you can pay a dollar and have that block. So I pay a buck a month, I don't care, I throw money away, look at that. Pay a dollar a month, that's 12 bucks a year to avoid going on the web on my phone. So then uh, she's like, you're sure it's a big lifestyle? Yeah, yes, just please, just let me let me do this. So she's like, all right. So she starts, and and now you do all, they do all of the upgrades and everything on a computer. They open the computer and do the thing. Well, she couldn't, she couldn't do it in the computer. She's like, I can't, it's not letting me. So she has to call Bell Mobility Call Center to like override the computer to do this thing. So she calls them up. And explains, she's like, oh, hey, uh, this is such and such from Bell Mobility or Bell Kiosk and Champlain Play. I'm calling to, and she explains the situation. Then there's a pause. And then she's like, no, 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 no. He has an iPhone 5 now, but he's going to a flip phone. Like even the person on the other end of the line couldn't grasp the fact that I was doing this. This, this is the world we live in. And so finally she does the thing. She's like, wow. So right away, my bill goes down $70 a month. Just like that. Boom. So I'm pretty happy about that. And then so, then she goes, do you want me to, to transfer your contacts? It's just, it's just two SIM cards. So we have a thing. You put it in. I can transfer your contacts from one SIM card to the, to the other. She tries it. And then she just doesn't say anything. She just hands me my flip phone and just like shakes her head no. She's like... Can't, can't do it. Like, the technology doesn't exist to go backwards. Why not? Why not is my question. Anyway, it's been the best thing. I was going to do it for a month. It's been three months now, and it's the best thing I've done. I'm telling you. You know, you justify all these reasons why you need these things at all times. Like, oh, I need it for work. I need it for this. I need it for that. But truthfully, you can get by without it. 
You really can. Like I was thinking, you know, because I live here in Toronto and I and I use the Waze app, W-A-Z-E or W-A-Z-E for the American listeners. And uh, it's like a traffic app. It updates. You, you can kind of beat traffic and take back. So I was thinking of that. I'm like, I might need that and, or, and stuff like Uber and Instagram, whatever. All this kind of stuff, all these reasons had kept me from trying this out. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to take the leap and try it. And uh, I got to say, all, instantly, I'm thinking more. I'm way more productive. And uh, there was definitely an adjustment period. I got to say, like, so I did this when I was in Moncton. And when I'm back home, I'm basically staying in a cottage in the middle of the woods. And I don't need a smartphone, really. And so for the first two, three days, I was still in Skidook. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. This is so easy. I never needed an, a, uh, an iPhone or smartphone. Who needs that? And then I get to Toronto, land. I figure I'm going to go get some food. So come home, and then I venture out to get some food. And I knew where I was going as far as I knew the name of the place. I'd been there before. I know what it looks like. I know what the staff looks like. I know what the food tastes like. I've been there. So I'm like, I'm going to go get some food. I jump in the car, and I can't find the place. I know the general area, but I cannot find the place to save my life. I can't Google it to look it up. I can't. I can't even Google it to look up the number to call. I can. I just have, like, what am I to call directory assistance? So it took me way longer, but I eventually found it. A screaming in my car, by the way. Screaming my lungs out, just like of a pure rage. And that's, that's when it kind of hit me how dependent we've become uh, on these things. Because dependent and also addicted to it. Like, this is how addicted I was to my cell phone. I was in the backseat of a cab here in Toronto. I may have told the story before, but I was in the backseat of a cab... And I was on my phone. It was making me car sick to the point where I felt like I could have puked any second. And so I figured all I could do is uh, to fix that would be to put away my phone. But instead, I stayed on my phone because I figured, oh, well, I may, I, I'd rather walk around being nauseous for a half an hour after my car ride than to not be on my phone for 10 minutes. So addicted and also dependent. Think about it. I was late to come to the smartphone game, all right? I got an iPhone maybe th four, four years ago, three years ago maybe. And I was getting by just fine three or four years ago. Let's say four. Pretty sure it was three. It was three. Irrelevant, but it's three years ago. I got my first ever iPhone. And so three years ago, I was getting by just fine. I was living life, no problems, no nothing. And then, like, I wish I could just go back in time to three years ago, talk to myself three years ago and go, all right, this is your life now. You have a flip phone and you're just fine. You're fine. Everything's, everything's okay. We're going to introduce a technology into your life for the next three years and then take it away to bring you back to the life as you know it right now. Self from three years ago. And this is your reaction. And then show a video of me screaming my head off in my car. Just like irrationally punching the steering wheel and flipping out and cursing and swearing. <laughs> That's how dependent we've come on these things. Anyway, so I have my flip phone now. Listen to it. Yeah, that's that's what you hear when I hang up on you.
I noticed the first few weeks I was bringing my laptop into the bathroom a lot more. Like just, because <laughs> you don't, you, it evolves to, to, you just have your phone with you all the time. And that's what you do. And man, the low battery on this, it's been beeping low battery. That's Friday today since like Sunday. It's been beeping, charging me, er, you know, saying I should uh, charge it. I've also become very good at T9 text again. All that to say it's been a super positive experience. And uh, check, check it if you can. Do it up. Try the flip phone. Okay, let me get to the interview here. Uh, I had a great chat with uh, Mr. Scott Dion Brown. You're going to enjoy it. Listen all the way to the end for a live performance. And again, uh, his mother, Marie. Marie. All right, enjoy my chat now with Scott Dion Brown. You and me belong, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose, sing a little song. Then take a shower, Julian Dion, comedy Wake him up, make a cup, hit the road before sunrise. Tie your skates, check the blade, scrapes your thumbnail just right. Sip your cup, bundle up, it gets cold by the ringside Say hello, folks you know, grab a bite after this ride This thing that unites us in all that we do You'll pass it to yours like it passed down to you And you take with life the role that you feel is and true Shattered dreams, nations scream for that red light Time is up, it's the cup Waited all week for this night For the Just the same, scrapes his thumbnail just right Days get tough, things get rough And the players have gained size In this time, he's learned why You woke up before sunrise For the It passed down to you And you take with life the roles That you fearless and true Play the game
And that is my guest today, sitting across from me here in Lemon Press Studio. Man, what can I say about this guy? Other than uh, I've known him a very short time, probably actually less than a week. Well, yeah. I mean, we've talked on yeah. the phone maybe two weeks ago, and um, we have the same agent, and uh, she linked us up together. And all I know about this guy really is that he's a creative force to be reckoned with, and he's going to do big things in this business of show. And uh, like I like uh, I've explained to you, the listener, before, what I like to do with my guests is uh, get to know them a little bit better. Because uh, people will know you, Scott, from stage or screen or whatever, but maybe not uh, so personally. So we'll get into it. We'll go deep. And uh, like I mentioned, his name is Scott. Scott Dion Brown sits in Lemon Press Studios. How are you, bro? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. A little backstory. First of all, that song was a solo project you did for, for the CBC, you were telling me? Yeah, well, it was, uh, was it two or three years ago now. They had a, they had a very specific contest. They wanted... Uh, a song that was hockey themed, right? So, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, was it for the new Hockey Night in Canada theme? Or was, I think or? yeah, I think the prize was to be played during like one of the montages during Hockey Night in Canada. Right. So it actually did pretty well. It did. It didn't win, but it got to. I can't remember what it was. It was top, top something. Maybe it was. I don't know if it was top ten, but we can say it was top ten. Anyway, it did pretty well. It was okay. It's top ten in my books. And uh, let's let's give a little backstory of how um, how you and I met. So we have the same agent, like I said mm-hmm. off the top. And you wrote and uh, well directed and acted in this uh, short film. Yes. And you were looking for actors, which thanks again. That was so much fun. And um, let's talk a bit about the project. We'll promote it more once it comes when to when it comes ready. But we when can... it comes right out. But let's just give uh, the cold notes a little elevator speech, if you will. Yeah. So in the last, I've written a short film, which is a it's a science fiction adventure i guess you'd call it uh it's called kessler syndrome and uh i won't give the the plot away or anything but basically it's the story of of captain jack harrison who is a spaceman a space captain played by me and uh he is on an adventure in space and he's trying to get to this new world and that's all we can reveal about it and then yeah so i I was casting it and uh i needed somebody to play my I guess, I guess partner in the movie, or or, or uh, we're on the same team or whatever. Yeah. So Captain Jack Harrison is on the ship, and uh, Bert Jones, played by yeah. Mr. Julian Dion, <laughs> is uh, in on the home base communicating with uh, with Jack. And I gotta say, this project was fully self funded. Fully, you did ev- literally everything. Uh, from building the set to writing it, obviously, to picking who's going to be in it. And, uh, man, I was so impressed. So I guess I know, I feel like I know you well, but in truth, I don't know you well. Because I went to your 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 home where you grew up, your parents' house, North yep. of Ontario. Yeah, feel free to adjust. You can just be just rough with it. Yeah, just get, there we go. get comfortable, sit down, mm-hmm. relax. And, uh, yeah, so, so like, I, I, you know, I met your parents, you know, Mike and Maria and your brother, Taylor, and you had such such a great time. And I was telling you the other day, you I don't get to see or experience that a lot in, like, Toronto proper, the, you know... The core. the Right. And, and to experience, like, the homestead that's been, you know, it's been the same home for 30-plus years, and you guys grew up there. Yep. And, and your brother still lives there, and it's just this... I felt like I was back home. I felt like I was in small town, New Brunswick, and it was such a 
joy. And I got to know you a little bit, uh, the, your creative side. I mean, mm-hmm. and first of all, let me say your parents are amazing and uh, so damn proud. When you were downstairs when I first got there, I was trying on my wardrobe, yep. various different sizing and stuff. Uh-huh. And your mom was telling me just, she still, to this day, she couldn't believe how creative you are. She's like, it's, ever since from a young age, I can't, I couldn't believe what he would come up with. And and then that was as soon as I got there and throughout the day, I got to get a little taste of that. I saw some of your, your uh, home movies yeah. from when you were in school and uh, a lot of creative stuff. Where do you think that comes from? Have you just always been that kind of guy? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't have any memory of me as a kid when I didn't want to make films. So literally my entire life, it's all I've ever, it's was the first career I ever wanted. It was the first thing I ever wanted to do. I, I literally thinking back grade one, grade two, I, I was always imagining even then, like I wanted to be on screen um, and making movies. And then my parents had a, a video camera, like a, just, I guess an old one. I can't remember how old I was, but I was always playing with it and I used it into the ground making movies and it broke. And then I remember, I think I was like 12 or something. And my parents bought me a camcorder for Christmas that year. And then that was, was like a little bit better than, than that one that they had. And so, yeah, I don't know. I've always... That must have been... been you must have freaked out at 12 to get a camcorder of yeah. your own. Like, yeah, who absolutely. can say that, you know? Yeah, I think it was... I guess my parents just saw that that's what I was really into. And also the fact that I'd broken theirs. But um, but it, I found it's funny because I... I even, even before they bought me that one, it had kind of become my camcorder because even when we go to anything my dad realized pretty quick that it was really easy just to hand me the video camera and be like okay scott film this birthday party or film this whatever we're at and uh and then at the flip side i would go off and i'd be making these little movies and and it's funny because there's no editing software or anything back then so it was all um either i'd shoot everything like in sequence or i remember i i I grabbed the vcr from the basement and brought it to the living room and i would be editing both i'd be editing my videos with like two VCRs, so you'd have to put it in and record onto the other and then stop, so. Well, so. that's that's what I mean. I mean, that's creative shit. I mean, and when I say creative powerhouse, that's what I mean. Like, okay, f- filmmaking is one thing, but I mean also your music, which we'll get into, mm-hmm. and even just the set design, and not only designing the set, building the thing yourself. Like, that's crazy to me that, because c- I grew up, you know, I, I, I consider myself fairly handy, mm-hmm. but I don't, I, I don't think I could, you know, come up with a set like you did and just build it all myself in three days. You did all that. Yeah, three long days, yeah. It's pretty damn impressive. And and at this whole time, were your parents super supportive of just l- oh, letting yeah. you... In fact, the whole... I got to say, my whole life, my parents have been... They've been really, really supportive about letting me pretty much... Getting me into anything like they, they they put me into a lot of lessons and things when I was growing up and and played hockey and baseball and sports. So they always and they're always coming to the games. They're always supportive with that stuff. But I owe them so much because everything that I've always been interested in got into. Like they've been nothing but helpful about it. I mean, with music, you know, they let us take over the basement. You know, and that's that's our rehearsal space. And then, as you saw, well, just this past when we were shooting the first day. Um, the basement is completely turned upside down. I mean, yeah, the, we we built the place. That we, I built this space station set in my parents' basement, and that was um, not even close to the first set that I've built down there. And um, yeah, like you you mentioned a little earlier, so we had a technical problem where our batteries died for a while, so we had to wait for like half hour to charge them. And so we just yeah, I, I pulled out um, 
our old my old movies from high school and that's when i kind of realized i'm like holy crap like i forgot that we had built a set in here and both movies like one of them was on the moon was like this black and white old silent film and i forgot i'm like (laughs) that's hilarious by the way it was like old silent film style but like the I forgot the basement was so destroyed that day. And I forgot that we had done that because we had the same way we did this time. We had to move all the furniture over to one side. We had to hang this big black curtain up to make it look like space. Yeah. And then we have the spaceship flying around on a string. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, my parents have just been so cool with with all of it. And, and were I, they kind of like, yeah, do whatever you want? Or were they like, do what you want for now, but you better clean that shit up by tomorrow? Or, or were they just kind of just have fun and experiment and create? I mean... <laughs> There was, there never really was a, a, I mean, they probably want me to clean it up. I mean, I don't think they want their house to be a, a, a moon base forever, but uh, I don't know. There's, there's never been pressure there and I've really appreciated that. It's given me uh, the freedom to kind of explore and figure stuff out. And the thing is, I mean, what you saw on, on when we just filmed, like not only were they letting us down there, but like, you know, we're halfway through the day and suddenly my mom comes down and she brings like two pizzas. Yeah, yeah. For us to... Your mom is adorable, eat. by the way. Yeah. I mean, both your parents are just... And they're beaming with pride. And your mom's in, in, in costume all day. Yeah. For 10 hours. Yeah, my she, mom is, is, is in the movie. Yeah, without she, giving anything yeah. away. She's an extra in the movie. Yep. And your dad's the stage hand there. He's helping us behind the scenes. Yep. And yep. between takes, he's outside in the back with, with the dog with... A, yeah. attending a fire i mean i really felt like i was in the country i'm like it was a great great experience so again i thank you so much it was cool yeah yeah you basically got a taste of my that's basically what my childhood was like i, mean, I felt like a kid honestly i felt like yeah. just hanging out with my friends uh being silly yeah. and like i told you when you came in uh, the studio a couple days ago to record the audio mm-hmm. for the film i i was on a laughing hangover the next day i was like sore from laughing for 10 straight hours yeah. And it's not a comedy, really, what we're doing. It's a little more dramatic. Mm-hmm. There's some comedic edge to it. Uh, yeah. But but uh, laughing, oh, my God. Like, between takes, your brother's hilarious also, yep. and, and your buddy uh, Colin there. I, it was just a great, great day. And that basement has seen so much art in the way that the walls are covered with pictures of bands that have recorded there. You guys have virtually uh, yeah. cha- like converted it to a recording studio rehearsal space kind of for, yeah, that's, for your it's, band. Yeah, it's pretty much, uh, yeah, exactly that. So recording studio, film studio, rehearsal and that, space. And that also says a lot about your parents because you're not only just making movies down there and doing your thing, you're bringing other people in and being really, really loud yeah. <laughs> while doing so. And they're just... They're yeah. just uh, so shout out to well, Maria and Michael up there. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, especially with the studio that I forgot to mention that the so the drum kit sits. Well, it, it was moved for the filming, but it's normally in the in the one co- the far corner of the room, and it's directly below their bedroom. And I remember for the longest time. So I I, I never thought about it too much, but I just you know my parents never minded. We we jam and like especially um, say we had a show coming up. So there'd be nights where we might be rehearsing as a band fairly late into the night like a few days a week and they never said anything and i was like is it okay yeah yeah it's fine it's fine so i remember one day i never really thought that much about it and then one day i happened to be like in my parents room i think talking to my dad or something and my brother went like was playing the drums and i guess there, there's like a vent above the drum kit that, that goes into the <laughs> ceiling and my parents room is above and like so my brother starts playing the drums 
and it was it was like he was in the room with us playing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, how can you? It's so <laughs> how can, loud. How can you tolerate <laughs> this? But yeah, no, I owe them. I owe them everything. I really do. They're absolutely fantastic people. And you, I was, your dad was saying he's like he was saying when. I guess when your brother or you or somebody's like when the boys move back in, I guess his his mother was like, "Why they should be out and doing things?" He's like, "Why?" He's like, "If they're here and happy, let them be. Eventually, they won't, and that's when we'll miss them." So, yep. And, and I feel like more people should think that way because really, it's true. It's it might seem like um, like uh, you know they're living here; it's going to be forever, but it's not. Truthfully, and yep. when when they're not being you guys mm-hmm. they will miss you and so it's kind of like uh yeah just do your thing and and that's amazing i mean that because doing anything in show business whether it's music whether it's filmmaking acting whether it's stand-up comedy mm-hmm. having your parents support is paramount i mean if you don't have that it's i don't think it's i don't even know how you could i don't think you could do it i mean it's so cer- certainly it, you wouldn't be able to do nearly as much or you because just from the just support itself, like if you, I mean, if my parents had kicked me out a lot earlier, right, then there would have been a whole lot more things I would have had to worry about besides, you know, writing. Or, right. Or, exactly. Right. So you you would be restricted the the flow there. Yeah. What what did your parents do, or what do they do? Are they retired? Do they work? Still? Uh, no, they still work. Both of them. Uh, my dad is in elevators in the elevator business, and my mom works for. A uh, company that com- works with computers. What's your mom's yeah. background? She's uh, Filipino. So you're you're half Filipino. Half Filipino. Your and dad's a full ginger. Yeah, I saw right. their wedding pictures. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like the most uh, ginger mushroom cut. Yeah, it's, and it's funny when he, I've seen pictures of him when he's when he was a kid. Like I guess his his hair has gotten steadily more blonde as he got older. But when he was when he was young, it was super bright red like, like pure it, yeah orange yeah like i'd see his photo and like he he's the one guy like he, there's a whole group of in his in his little class and yeah he's the the kid with the bright orange hair really bright orange so. that's amazing when and when did uh, music come into play uh music probably around grade 10 because so the band is uh me uh, and colin campbell who is also in the film you met him mm-hmm. uh taylor brown my brother drummer and uh, Giovanni Ironman Agostini on the bass, who uh, wasn't there on, in, in the filming. Is he in, in some of the home movies from he's, back in the day? He's in like all of the home right, movies. Right, because I remember his name. I remember you guys saying, referring to Gio. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he, he definitely would have been there um, the other day, but he had to work. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the music started. I mean, I've known Colin since uh, grade two, uh, but we've we decided we wanted to start jamming as a band in, I think it was grade 10 when I went and bought a guitar and... Uh, he already had a guitar. Colin is uh, like a really good musician. He's played piano his whole life. Um, and well, actually, I took piano lessons too, but he actually p- practiced where I didn't. So he's actually can say he's a piano player. And you and went I to school not. with it. You guys all went to the same, same school. You went yeah. for uh, drama and your brother drama. Yeah, we went to, yeah, Cardinal Carter uh, is an art school. And uh, yeah, we all we all went there. Colin was in uh, music, instrumental music, and, and so was Gio. So your first instrument was the piano as a kid? Yeah. And then uh, I... How how old would you have been at that point? I think they... St- my parents really started me young. I was taking piano lessons since I was a little kid. But uh, I think it was around grade seven or eight when I gave up on that. I, I just... It was sort of those things where... It, it's funny because it's one of those things that I never liked it. 
But then once I started playing in my own band and picking up a guitar, I was grateful that they had put me through that because I think I was able to pick up music and pick up another instrument a lot easier uh, because I had the time on the, on the piano. Oh, yeah, definitely. So so kids, if your parents are forcing in piano lessons, just just do it. Just do it. And you pick up that guitar in grade 10. It comes somewhat easy to you-ish. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I found, I, I taught myself using the internet. You know, download text internet lessons that I, I like just... Is that right? That. I was going to say YouTube, but that wouldn't have been around it back wasn't then. YouTube yet, no. Uh, text le- uh, internet yeah. lessons. It was just like, I, I can't remember where it was from. It was some website and it was like, there were actually a lot of lessons that you print out and it was just... Was it like tabs or it would show you like... Yeah, tabs. And But there, I remember there were also paragraphs with explanations. Like somebody had taken a lot of time and written that stuff out. Right. And it wasn't, it didn't cost anything. It was just free, just mm-hmm. online. And you teach yourself. And when do you, how long did you start... Um, how long did you play before you actually started jamming? Uh, well, we started kind of jamming, like we, we almost bought the instrument just to start jamming. So we kind of learned together, like uh, like Gio bought a bass the same time that I bought uh, my guitar. And Gio and Colin, they live in the neighborhood, like on, around Yeah, well, there? Colin, because well, yeah, Colin and I have been known since grade two, so we would live really close to each other because we went to the same elementary school. And then uh, Gio lived a little bit further, but he would take he would take the bus down. So after school, we would go to Colin's. It's our first jam session was actually Colin's basement. So we we would meet there, and um, Colin would be teaching us more than anything because he he was already able to play these instruments. Uh, we played our first show. Our, our school had a cool thing called um, a spirit assembly. They were every every few months, but basically what it was was a it's just a big show where the whole school meets in the in the in the auditorium at the school and uh but you have to audition to perform so you can do anything from you literally perform anything you want you can dance you can sing whatever so we would um our first show we actually played at the time that you know the movie almost famous mm-hmm. so that movie was just coming out so we were both in we were all into it and we the song fever dog that they play in that mm-hmm. we we learned how to play that song and we auditioned it and that was like our first show i watched the video it was really really bad looking back but but it's what it's what got us started and uh then the, for the rest of high school basically through 10 11 and 12 um we kind of lived for like the spirit assembly so like we would just our, our school year was revolved around preparing for the next show um and so by the time we we graduated we've been playing together for like i guess three two three years and uh that's when we started you know looking for our own gigs and writing our own music was your brother playing with you guys at that point or? actually no taylor was the he was actually the last one to join he's what five years younger than you uh, three, like three 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 oh. years younger yeah um but he was yeah we went through how many drummers have we had we've had like three drummers colin was actually a drummer for a little while Drummers, I've learned, are are weird people, and I think any musicians listening will understand it. Drummers are not like the others in the band. I've just noticed it, and every and the other thing that I've learned is I've recorded a lot of bands now. Like I said in the studio, I've met a lot of bands, and so now I've met talked to a lot of musicians, and I've talked to a lot of bands with drummers. There's just something about drummers. So anyway, we we went we went through <laughs> we went through a few drummers. Well, that that seems to be the one uh, position in a band that that is kind of a revol- revolving door. Yeah. yeah, a lot of big bands like I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. Like they went through mm-hmm. so many drummers early on. It's kind of the it, something about drummers. Yeah. There's something about drummers. In fact, it's actually makes sense how Taylor ended up in the band. I mean, one because at the time, especially we lived in the same house, so he could always come to rehearsal. But uh, no, it was one of those things where we, our, the last drummer we had before him, he he left, and but Taylor was always kind of there, right? And was he playing, or did he kind of start playing just to be in the band sort of well, thing? Well, that's the thing. He had sort of 
started to pick it up, right? Because all the all the instruments were there. And so it kind of became one of those things where if our drummer hadn't shown up yet, Taylor was kind of just jumping on for the hell of it. And he actually, he just got really good. And that's the other thing. He, he completely taught himself as well. I mean, he, he, I think he took, he went to one or two drum lessons. Like we, we thought, oh, okay, if you're going to be in our band, maybe take some lessons. But he didn't really go to f- take lessons, lessons. He just sort of went and sat down with a drum guy who kind of, you know, said, okay, well, you, you know, you can, you can play the drums. And I think he gave him a few pointers, but he, but no, I mean, really Taylor's just self-taught and he's, he's good. And the thing I liked actually having him in the band from other drummers is he sings as well. So it makes it a lot nicer for Colin sings, I sing, so we can do three-part harmonies and it's nice. And A lot of bands, when they talk about, you know, they reach a level of success and they talk about when they first ever plugged in those instruments together mm-hmm. and jammed with other people for the first time. Because you play alone at first. I mean, it's a little different in your case because you kind of bought the instruments to be in a band. Yeah. But do you remember that feeling of that first jam and starting to I play do, yeah. and, and the sounds colliding together? And you're like, did you get that feeling of like, holy shit, we're doing this and this is as amazing as I thought? Or It was, yeah. In fact, I remember very clearly the first time I heard like, a bass, a guitar, and drums together, uh, us playing it. And I remember thinking how it sounded like a real, like it sounded like real music. I was like, holy crap, like this. And, and looking back now, I understand that that's just, that's because when you listen to rock music, that's what you're hearing. But I guess I was just so amazed to be making that music. My advice to bands starting out now is you have to get over that feeling because you, when you hear that, you think you're really good. Because you're like, right. you're like, wow, this is the coolest thing. And then, in fact, it's funny. So not long after after graduation, um, we played a small gig at, at a coffee shop that this um, that a girl who went to our school's mom owned. So, but I, that gig was okay. But our first real gig in a, in a like a rock venue was at the uh, the Big Bop, which is now a Crate and Barrel at a Queen and what is it Queen and Bathurst, I think. It's an Elkwaite and Barrel. But anyway, the Big Bop was the Reverb, the Cathedral, and some other small venue. Anyway, we played the Cathedral on a Tuesday night, and the only people in the audience were my, my parents and uh, the sound guy and the next band. But I remember the, the sound guy was like, hey, uh, if you guys want, you can I can record this set for you and like burn it to CD um, for like 25 bucks or something. And we were like, oh, awesome. Yeah, wicked, right? So we played the show, and like we burned us a CD, and we're listening to it, and we're like, oh, man. It's like the this is the best thing I've ever heard. Like this is so good. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta sell this, right? So like, <laughs> so like I went home and I remember I opened like Photoshop or whatever, and I made I made like a little CD. I went to like Business Depot. I bought like CD labels, and I like so I started burning all these CDs. And I remember Colin's girlfriend at the time, like she she apparently we gave her a copy, and she like had shown her dad, and the dad had said to her like. I'll tell them not to quit their day jobs, right? <laughs> and remember, me and Colin were like, "What? What do you mean? How could you not? How could you not? How could you not hear how amazing this is?" And I realized so it, again, it was still kind of the afterglow of that. The first time you hear yourself recorded, it's another one you have to get over. It's like you, you're not as good as like that high your feeling is. Right. So like, as a band, you almost have to like appreciate how fun it is appreciate how amazing to hear your voice and hear your music for the first time but then you need to really get over it quick and like listen to it objectively and you go wow okay it's there's potential but there's a lot to do need some work maybe don't sell it yet don't (laughs) don't get a thousand copies made (laughs) that's hilarious well well, maybe you're able to get over that a little uh quicker because you kind of started as a band because sometimes 
you know, sometimes like I was in a band when I was like 13 years old or whatever. Mm-hmm. But leading up to that, I'd only been in my room by myself for years playing. Yeah. And that feeling was like, oh my God, insane when you play together the first time. Yeah. So maybe f- for someone who has only been playing in their room for years and then you get that, maybe it's harder to get over that sense. But it's the same for comedy too. I remember my first ever set, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, I'm I'm going to be on Letterman like next week. This is amazing. I just did my first ever seven minutes of comedy and I, I got like four laps. I still have the tape of it. I've never had the, the balls to watch it yet. I feel like it's just too painful. <laughs> but looking back, I thought it was awesome. And looking back, it was pretty like terrible. Mm-hmm. But that's just the, that's just the uh, part of the creative process, you know? Like yeah. Ira Glass has this famous quote, it's a long one, but the gist of it is when you get into any sort of creative uh, art form or creative endeavor, you're, you get in it because you're usually a fan of it. And so your taste is pretty high up there, but your skill set does not match your taste. It's kind of impossible, actually. Very rarely does it ever. It's really never. And, uh, and the only way to ever make that match your skill set and your taste is to move and work through this immense body of work. And so he's just like, he, he wished that someone would have told him that as an amateur because he would have just, like, just write for, the, write for the trash, just keep producing, keep churning out material, keep creating, creating until you get to that point where, where anybody with the same taste you have will be like, oh shit, yeah, this is, this is good. Other people mm-hmm. will, will uh, think of that. When did the songwriting come into play? Uh, when did we first write? I think it probably was after, just after graduation of high school. I don't think I wrote any original songs in high school. I'm trying to think if I did. I remember, in fact, we, so the very first show we played, like I said, was at Coffee Shop. And it's funny because we graduated high school and it was summer. And this girl's like, hey, yeah, my mom said you guys can come play. And I'm like, how long should we play for? She's like, oh, maybe like a couple hours. I'm like, oh, awesome. Yeah, we can do that. So me and Colin were like, okay, uh. We got, we better write enough. We better go write two hours worth of music. <laughs> okay, so like we we did write. We wrote like, I think we wrote like thirteen songs in like a week, and then pl- like that's what it was not good at all. Like, <laughs> like it's funny. I look back now. Like I think about now if we're if we're planning to play a, a show, right? Somebody calls us and books us for let's say a forty five minute set, right? Like I want some time to like prep it, and we'll pick our our we'll pick our thing carefully and pick our set list. And like if I've if I've written a new song, like I don't want to play it in front of anybody now until we have, you know, played the hell out of it for a while, right? Sometimes I'll even like to like record a demo version of it first so I can hear it back and understand. So anyway, I'm just I'm a lot more cautious now, and I guess it's just because I've been doing it for a while. So now like I I know what I have to do to make it sound good. I know what I would do if I'm recording or mixing a song to make it sound right. And it's just funny how back then it was. Oh yeah, you need like two hours of material. Just give me like twenty minutes. I'll like I'll bring it in here. And so, so that's probably when we started. And then, yeah, I mean, we've been writing ever since. I I do most of the writing. Um, Colin writes as well, but and I find that the two of us, um, in terms of sort of arranging the parts in a song, we work together really well. So, what comes first, the music, the melody, and the and then the lyrics, or do you write lyrics and then? Uh, it's almost always been lyrics last right um melody is usually first it it depends it it depends on the type of song but mostly it's either a melody of the 
the, of the main verse, or, or sorry, the main vocal. Uh, or if it's kind of a more riff-heavy sort of song, then usually it's, um, yeah, the, the, the riff comes first. And it's something, uh, most of the writing I do, it's it's in my head beforehand. Um, so I'll, I'll get an idea for a riff in my head or a melody that's that I find myself, I'm just, I'll be singing it, maybe in the shower or something. And if I, if I find it for, you know, half the day or, or a whole day, I'm sort of got this same riff in my head all day, then I think, okay, that's probably kind of catchy. So then I'll, I'll flesh it out. And then, a lot, but again, a lot of the writing happens in my head. And then it, as I write it and record it, I'm more trying to figure out what the sound I'm hearing in my head would be, how, how I would create that with real instruments. So it's like, I hear it, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. And I have to make, make something in the real world that kind of matches it. And then do you, once you have that locked down, you kind of have the music written out and then do you just kind of listen to it and see what, what that invokes kind of emotionally or like to get to the lyrics or do the lyrics just kind of come out of nowhere? Yeah, I find it's, it depends. Like sometimes, in fact, some of the favorite songs I've written have been ones where, uh, so let's say we've got the music and the melody down and then we're like, okay, let's jam on it for a bit. So we'll start jamming and I'll just start singing kind of gibberish just words that sound pleasant in certain places like because you know sometimes words just the way the way the word is shaped kind of can sound nice in a certain spot so there have been times where i'll sing a line i'll be like you know and the river rose or something and what didn't mean anything at the time but then as i'm singing i'm like that sounds really cool like that word so then i might write the rest of the song just to make that work yeah um so, so it's it, it varies though it depends on the type of song there are other times where um if the, if the music does make me feel a certain way, like if, if if it's naturally just kind of a sad sounding song, then you, you sort of just think about how you're feeling and then you just write about... Then the river dried up. <laughs> the river dried up. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Do you... And are you one of those guys who... I mean, you hear a lot of songwriters say that it comes from somewhere else mm-hmm. and it just sort of comes when it comes and when it does, you better act on it or then it's just kind of gone. Yes. In fact, that's, yeah, that's exactly. In fact, my phone is is full of voice notes of just, or like, you know what I mean? Like, so if anybody like opened my phone, like listen to those, they'd be like, what the hell is this? Check them in. Right. But what that, what those are, are they're just, um, it's like a little kind of, I don't know, label for me. So when I listen to it, I'll hear all the other instruments going on with that. But yeah, for sure. Like I'll be, and I don't know how many songs have come into my head and then I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll remember that. I'll remember that. And then, you know, six hours later, it's gone. You can never rely on memory. It's the yeah. same for comedy. Uh, yeah. It'll just come. It, and I have the same. I have voice notes in my phone and it's like, but it'll just be a couple words. Mm-hmm. It'll be like, but that, if anyone listened to, they would have no clue what, uh, what I'm talking about, yep. but if I don't go back, if I don't write it down, first of all, A, or send myself a voice note, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes forever. Sometimes it'll come back. I'm like, oh yeah, shit, that thing. But also if I don't, if I don't, um, elaborate on the voice note almost like within a day or two, that'll be gone. So, cause sometimes I'll listen to a voice, voice note. It'll be like Eagle Clock Farm Cheese. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck did I mean by that? But at the time, it made so much sense. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I'll remember that it means this because it, I just thought of it. It's so funny, the creative process. Um, just to go quickly back to your early days as a band, uh, what, were you, what were your go-to covers? Like, what are some of your influences or who are some of your influences? I think I'm, well, 
I, I listen to a lot of, again, thanks to my parents. I grew up on uh, what was 1050 Chum at the time in Toronto. So that's oldies radio. So I grew up mainly on a lot of Beatles, a lot of Rolling Stones. Um, then there were a lot of artists that, again, were playing on the oldies station that I don't even know who they are today. I just know a lot of their songs. Like I can, all those classic oldies. Then as I got into high school, I started to, to develop my own tastes. Um, still listening to old music. It's, in high school is when I discovered Bowie, discovered Jimi Hendrix, um, Queen. So I, so I like to go back to those guys. Uh, and I, I was also influenced by them a lot in terms of how we played. And uh, I was really into Oasis in, 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 uh, in high school. As well. Oh, yeah. Who wasn't back yeah. then, you know, when they were huge? Yeah, yeah. Colin got me into Oasis as well. So, in fact, we, we would... I was sad that they broke up because... We kind of every time they would come to town, we would go like the the, the group of us. But um, yeah, they're probably my influences most. I don't know if it shows in the music or not. I'm, I I've not ever been able to listen to my music in that way to know. What are your thoughts? That's another advantage of growing up in Toronto. You get to see a band like Oasis. Like mm-hmm. I grew up in small town New Brunswick, huge Oasis fan. Never in the world would I have gotten the chance to see them like ever. Mm-hmm. Um. What was I going to say? Uh, shit, it's gone. See, I should have acted upon should it. Have, see, record uh, that in a, in a voice note. Let me do this. Let me take a short break. and Maybe it'll come back to me on break. Uh, so we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. And also, may as well, I'll drop a song. Let me play a song by Symphony of Nine. Let me play this one. I, l- I heard this one before. It's a good one. Uh, this one is called You Will Not Say, Symphony, Symphony of Nine. I keep butchering the name, sorry about that. And we'll be back with a lot more with Mr. Scott Dion Brown. See you at your worst. Let you be me. Let you come first. And now suddenly I'm in your shoes. Holding mine too. And now I see you.
that can be And now finally I'm wide awake No more mistakes It starts today And there's no way to change tomorrow Bells, bells is too much You will not say This episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour with guest Scott Dion Brown is brought to you by Echo One Photography. Toronto, Toronto, Toronto listeners, GTA, Great Tour, Toronto, Arior. This one is for you. If you're a musician, comedian, actor, business person, whoever, you need to get some headshots done, well, look no further. Echo One will do that for you right here in Toronto. If you uh, own a business and looking to get some product photography done for e-commerce or advertising purposes, well... Look no further, because guess what? Echo One does that too. Email Eugene, that's E-U-G-E-N-E, at echo1photography.com and enter J-D-C-H, the Julian Dion Comedy Hour, in the subject line for special offers. Do that shit today. Yes. We are back with Scott Dion Brown. I remembered my question. It's funny how it just lost, lost it there really fast. Uh, I, what what are your thoughts on new music today, like pop music and stuff that's coming out? I actually like a lot of today's music. I've, I mean, there's also a lot of garbage, but I've actually, I've thought about, I actually thought a lot about this because I've realized that it seems every, pretty much every generation ever seems to think that the next generation of music is bad, and I've noticed that to be true. But I also I listen back to like. When you listen to oldies, right? Like you think about, oh yeah, nothing. You know, today we have crap, and not, back then we had Led Zeppelin, and we had the beat, right? But there was also a lot of crap there too, right? Like we can name six or seven of the amazing bands that define that era, but there are like there are a lot more than six or seven bands playing. So there, are, I mean, there are artists that I'm not interested in at all. But then there are quite a few artists today that are doing things that I that I like a lot. So, and also, I mean, the, the truth is, I mean, pop music. You can say what you don't like. You say what you like about it, or say what you don't like about it. But I mean, it is almost like objectively pleasurable to hear, like just the the, the simplicity of it and how. I mean, you can't if you, if you if you sort of drop the all image about it and what who's singing it or what you think of that person or whatever. I mean, it's there's something in there for everyone. Yeah, I, I agree, and I mean, it's in the name pop music, so it's popular music, and it's kind of manufactured to be sold to the masses yeah but if you dig around and you don't even have to dig that deep there's a lot of really yeah. really good stuff out there and the, in fact the thing is now there's more in fact there's probably i don't know if there's more than there ever was but there's definitely you can access more now than you than anybody in history ever could which do, is cool do you find that becomes an issue though when it comes to finding success 
specifically monetary, like making money in this business because there's so much, because it's so accessible. You can go online, you can go on YouTube and put in the band or your favorite band name in there and get all of their songs streaming for free right on there. Yep. Do you think that's um, a problem? And do you think that eventually there will be a way because they're starting to find ways to pay artists for that music they're mm -hmm. like sound exchange and there's another one uh, they kind of scan the internet for digital content uh, tattooed to you with attached and then you get royalties from that yep so do you think it's kind of there was a dark period there uh, maybe over the last 10 years but do you feel because i find like there might be light at the end of the tunnel for musicians and artists but i could be wrong because i'm not close to it like you are yeah i'm I'm optimistic about it. I mean, and I think it's it is exactly like what you said. They've they're they're finding they're basically just a, things changed a lot faster than I think the industry was able to understand, and so that's why people thought it, you know people were saying it's the end for everything, and it it was the end of one way of doing things. Um, my hope is that people will continue to want to see live music. You know, I mean, that's what I prefer to do in terms of the whole music thing. I mean, I enjoy writing. Um, but I much enjoy having already finished writing and just being able to go on stage and now play the songs. So that's, that's, if I'm able to continue to do that, I'm happy. And then again, like, like you just said, with, with the technology getting better now, you know, like for example, somebody decides to take one of my songs and put it on a YouTube video. It used to be that there's nothing for it. Or, and, and YouTube used to do the thing where if you put a copyrighted song on a video, they're just going to take down that video or they'll they'll mute the music or something but now they've gotten smarter you put you put a music you, you put a popular song or any song on there um it gets traced back to the person whoever owns that copyright and that person will get paid every time that video gets streamed so yeah they're they're finding ways there's there's money to be made you gotta innovate or die as they say in uh exactly. business i guess yeah it's the same, kind of the same for comedy. I keep going back to comedy because obviously that's what I've been doing for the last almost 10 years now. But uh, it's kind of the same the same way, whereas it's such a live art form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great to watch on YouTube, fine. Sure, it's, it's great to see on TV, but there's nothing... That's why, if you're listening to this, go see live things, whether it's music, whether it's comedy, theater... Or, even sport, everything's better live. It's way better live. And um, yeah, like comedy specifically, I know some great comics and then they release a special or, or they do this thing on TV, a spot, and it's like, oh man, I've seen this material live and couldn't breathe myself as a comic, even analyzing and dissecting it. It's so fucking funny. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't translate as well on TV. You got to do it. You have to do these things on TV to uh, move ahead in your career and, and get known and get it out to the masses but go watch live things yeah cause everybody the, yeah because the, the room itself and the people in it have an impact on the show that's on the stage hell yeah you know so like well I, i'm sure it's the same for, well, must be in fact it is the same for comedy when you when i go on stage with songs to play i mean we've practiced and we've played these songs but the energy you get off the crowd will completely alter that and and the thing is i, I know f specifically for music I mean, if you watch a live performance of a, of a, of a, of a band on, online or something, if it's recorded properly and everything, it'll sound good. But if somebody's just recording you live on a video camera or something, the sound is not right. Like there's something about hearing the music through the sound system in the room live that makes it just sound the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. So you're missing everything, including that feeling of 
you're actually part of the show. You really are. I mean, when I've played to a lot of empty rooms <laughs> and it's not the same when you play to like a crowd. There's just, there's just something that happens between the two. It's a symbiotic relationship. And since we're talking, uh, we're comparing comedy music, have you ever done shows where you you would consider them a bomb? You're like, oh, holy shit, that was tough, or um, the audience sucked, or we sucked, or... There's been times when... Well, yes, in fact, there have been times where I know my voice wasn't... I wasn't feeling it. And I always find... The thing I'm always... Hard, it's always hard for me to gauge, though, is I know that... Well, in fact, I've kind of learned to notice that, but I've learned to notice that things that happen for me on stage or that we mistakes we make or things that I'm not happy with, a lot of people, the average listener is not really noticing those things. So I try now not to dwell on things too much, but it's usually little things like say, you know, there are notes that I want to go for. Or there's, there's, I just know my voice isn't feeling it a certain day or, or I realize midway through a song, my voice isn't feeling. So, you know, you find a way to get through it and I'll get off stage and go, ugh. That's bad, but there's never been a time when I was like, oh, we actually, no, there was one time we had to get off stage. Um, our, one of our guys who, he's not in the band anymore, but he got so hammered on stage. And like, and I don't mind, you know, having a buzz going. It's pretty fun to play with a buzz sometimes. But he was too far gone to the point where like, that was embarrassing. He was playing and way too loud than everyone else and not playing anything like what our music was supposed to sound like on top of it. That was probably the worst one actually. <laughs> so, have so you've never you've never played like uh, obliterated or anything like that. What has been your relationship with like drugs and alcohol over the years? Cuz you are in a business that's conducive to those things. Have you been you seem like a kind of wholesome guy where you've, you've been able to kind of abstain from those things or at least keep them at bay. Mhm. Yeah. It's you know drugs i i guess i just missed them like i literally like i guess people were getting into them in high school and i just didn't and then when we got into music and started playing and everything i don't know it's it's never just been part of what i've done so i i don't really touch any stuff i'm all for it i mean like believe me legalize weed it's very important that the mm -hmm. weed is legalized but it's just not something that i've done i enjoy alcohol um I found more so when we first started playing, I, I need I, when I get a little nervous, I would want to have a beer or two to like loosen up and like feel comfortable on stage. But now I, I, I mean, I feel I don't really, I don't need that anymore to like get in, get into it. Because um, it used to be, you know, I'd have a couple, but I want to, I don't want to have too many because I don't want it to affect the performance too much. I don't want like what happens is you at the exact same rate that your like energy level and your like freedom of jumping around and being awesome goes up, like your finger dexterity also starts to go down. So you yeah, kind of have yeah. to find that balance where like you can play, but you can, but what I found now is I, I don't need it so much anymore. So now I'll just, I'll usually when I go on stage, I'll have, you know, a pint and a, uh, and a, and a water with me and I'll just drink those through, through the set. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes me, I, I know that, you know, most musicians that I've met, you know, usually smoke a joint before they go on or at least after, or like just it's part of their creative process or like they don't like to write without it. Uh, it's just not something that I've, that I got into. Not because I was against it or for it, it's just something that didn't. And now it's like, I, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't have the energy to get into it, uh, 
a new substance now. And I feel like you're so, I feel like you're so productive on like in many areas of your life that would sh- that would shut that down. Uh bring that to a halt. If I feel like it would just fuck it all up. So don't do it, Scott Dion Brown. Do you, you ever take uh, vocal training or lessons? Uh well, in high school like I went to the art school. So I was a drama major there. There was a lot of singing in that. Um so there was I mean, we did musical theater. We did all that singing. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that, that that would count. I never like signed up for vocal lessons or anything, but you know, there were regular like vocal warm ups in the morning. And in the band, you guys have been together now for <clears throat> excuse me, how many years? Well, two thousand three was when we graduated. We started playing. I guess that's that summer. Always under the same name. Yeah, same. actually, we did change the name recently. For, like a was it a year ago now? More because I was trying to like freshen things and just try something out, but the name really didn't work. So we just, yeah, we've pretty much been Symphony of Nine that whole time. Yeah. So Symphony of Nine, and then what did you, what did what did you change it to for like a little bit? <laughs> we changed it to Hot Kiss. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to think of something that was like, and but what what's what funny about it is that I realized at that time that it's the reason I I felt the need to change it was because I just wanted to. I wanted something to change and I thought the name would kind of galvanize that but everyone else in the band hated the name. I didn't mind the name. It's a weird name. But I but the, the thing that felt weird to me is that it felt foreign. Is like it's this isn't us, right? And especially we've been we've been Symphony of 9 for so long. The funny thing about Symphony of 9 is Colin came up with a name in high school and we didn't even like it then. It was just like, "Oh, yeah, let's use this name and then we'll 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 change the name to a better name later." And like a decade goes by and I'm like, "Yeah, and the truth is, it's I actually quite like it. I, and I are you, it. like, do you have a leadership role in the band? As a, as in, like, when you s- decide to change the name to Hot Kiss, do people just kind of have to go with it? Or, or like, what's the, what's, how did you decide that? Yeah, I kind of just said, yeah, we're going to try this for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I am the, I do captain the ship in, in that regard. Right. So, but I mean, the thing is, like, you know. I, I'm not a well no I am a tyrant but I'm not like a, a bad tyrant so that's why like they said they didn't like it I was like, I, and I said to them alright fine let's just try it we'll try it and none of them liked it and we, we actually played one show under that name and it was fine I mean the thing that's funny about it is like it's a weird name but I noticed that when we would meet new people like on that show you know we sold a couple CDs we sent people to our website that I just set up like a week before it's like yeah like they didn't mind the name like for them they just saw a band that's what their name is right um but it felt weird to, to, it started to feel more weird to me. It's like, you know, you put, you put on a sweater and, and you're like, ah, it's not so bad. But then it's like, a uh, sweater's not a good example because I feel like sweaters get more comfortable. You put on something that's <laughs> uncomfortable and you think you'll get used to it, but then you don't. So then anyway, we, it was only a couple of weeks. We then changed the name back and um, whatever those fans of, of Hot Kiss were, I hope they found us, <laughs> but but the website's gone now. So and you so you didn't you never released anything under Hot Kiss or anything no. like that. No, no, no. It was it was one show, and we the CDs that we sold like I burned like they were just like I burned a couple CDs with like our five latest songs at that time, and that had the name Hot Kiss on it. And what's the vision for Symphony Symphony of Nine? The like vision the the image or no, or? just like the the vision. Like where do you see this going? Oh. I want to take it as far as it'll go. I mean, the, the four of us just like playing together. I yeah, mean, we love love playing shows. Um, the cool, like like I said, me and Colin have known each other our whole lives. Taylor, I've known him since he was born. Gio, we've known since 
since grade nine. So that group, I mean, we're we're the we're the that, that group of guys is also the guys that will go out to a to a game or something or go hang out. So this is our group of we're this is our friends group, right? Like that right. was our group in high school. So I mean. You know, we, we I keep putting the I'm writing, we're playing. I keep putting stuff out there. We just got a one of our songs is going to be in the soundtrack of a feature film, but they t- I'm not allowed to say what film yet. But oh no way! It's wow. going to be in a film. Shit. Yeah, okay, so, so you have filmmaker, you have musician, and you have um, acting. We're, we're going to play Kill Mary Fuck. You have to kill. No, you have to. Uh, if you had were to choose one, yeah. Which one would it be? I think the well, it would have to go back to filmmaker. I think just because it really was always the one that I always wanted to do first. Like I said, I, there's never been a time when that's not been what I wanted to do. And you are a passionate motherfucker when it comes to it, because like on when we were shooting on Sunday, I don't know how many times you just kind of put your hands up in the air and went, "This is awesome. This is this is fun." Like. Like you're the guy that put in the most work and you're the guy that's having the most fun it seems and uh, I mean I think I think that'll take you very very far it was very satisfying and like the thing because like that day of filming right that was kind of the well, I wouldn't even say the end because it's not we're not even close to finish this movie but but it was the end of that kind of week of you know like I said building the sets so there were multiple like really late nights there was one night I was up till like 4 a.m. one night prepping something. And then the next day I had to go pick up something other. So anyway, it was, but it was so cool. Like, so Monday I was, the, so we shot on Sunday. Monday I was like floating around. I felt just like I was like this disembodied head the next day. Like I had no energy at all. Um, I couldn't keep any thoughts. I was so tired, but I was like, I was in such a good mood because I was tired because I had just spent this whole week doing something awesome yeah and it's, it's taken all of my energy out of me and to be honest i haven't even fully really recovered energy wise because I, I was intending to sleep all day monday the next day just sleep in but i had to do stuff so super bowl sunday by the way is when we yeah shot right. it which uh great way to spend a super bowl if you ask me yeah but that energy thing it's it's when you're driven by passion and you're doing that same that exact thing yep you can do anything. It's it's like I've heard of uh, Quentin Tarantino when he's on a film. He's the most energetic, hyper, happy guy on set. Mm-hmm. He's there at 4 a.m. and he's there until 2 a.m. And it's like people are often like, when does he sleep? And he never shows a sign of being tired or not yep. wanting to be there. And and I feel like you you kind of have that, uh, that thing. Because it just, yeah, I, I think when you find yourself doing what you when you get the opportunity to do what you love to do, it doesn't feel like work, right? And you just don't want to stop. In fact, and I, I need to, I need to always remind myself, like, make sure I stop and eat for a minute, or like, like that's why it was so awesome when my parents came down with those pizzas, because it's the kind of thing where the day could have shot by, and if the batteries hadn't died and it made us stop, I wouldn't have even thought about the concept of stopping, which is, I mean, I don't know, it's a cool thing. I mean, you just. You like doing it, so you just want to keep doing it. When did the? I mean, you obviously went to drama school. When did the? When did you get the acting bug, or or want to get into that? I think the the, the acting thing is it's always kind of gone hand in hand with the filmmaker part. Um, like when I was in, when I was imagining it as a little kid, because you were in all the movies you've made growing up, obviously. Yeah. So it was always it always they kind of went one and the same. Like so, so like in the future, like if I ever had to pick one, 
it would be filmmaker, but I would not, I figure if I'm making my own films and I can put myself in right, movies. Right, right, right. Um, so I've always enjoyed both. The one thing I do find though, I'm not the hugest fan of doing both at the same time. I mean, like we just did it on Sunday, but I do find just in terms of being able to do my best work on either side, I like being able to be either behind the camera uh, or in front of it um, just because two completely different headspaces, right? Like if you're, if you're acting, well, yeah, you, you act as well. If, you, if, you, if you're acting, you've, you're trying to get into a character, you're trying to find your tone and delivery and all that stuff, right? And then it's distracting for me to then also have to think, okay, is the lighting hitting me right? Is the angle of this camera right? Is, you know, is the set going to fall down or something? So they're, they're completely sort of separated from each other. So I think my ultimate goal, if I was to, to if I was to keep going with filmmaking is, would be, I would, if I'm going to be in the film, I'll have to bring on a really, really good, like, you know, videographer, cinematographer who, who I can just delegate and be like, okay, good. Take care of this part of it. And, um, I'll be in the trailer rehearsing yeah, my lines. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, have you ever d- taken uh, any sort of training for acting? Just a high school drama. So I mean, the thing. I mean, and actually, that was quite a good um, uh, education in terms of that because the the way it works at at Cardinal Carter is it's um, so you you audition to get in, and then you have it's like a regular high school in that you have your your courses every day. Or different days, or whatever you're doing your classes, but but drama is the one that you sit, you do every day. So every single day, you're doing um, an hour and a bit, I guess, of of drama every day. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they have the rehearsal schedule. So if there's a sh- if they've got like the the our performance night coming up, you you might be there until nine o'clock at night and evenings. So you, so I yeah, I did a, over those four years, we did a lot of shows, a lot of musicals. Um, I wrote several original plays during that time. Um, so yeah, by the time I graduated high school, I was I was I had performed a lot already just on 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 that stage, which was cool. Scott Dion Brown, I got to say it's uh, been an absolute pleasure to get to know you and be in your short film and have you here in studio. Is there anything uh or I'm going to ask you to play a, a little live track live in here in 11 Press Studios. Would you before we do that, do you, is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, um well, symphonyofnine.com, the word nine, not the number, is our band website. Um, if you go there, you'll find all of our stuff. But we're on all the social media, youtube.com slash symphonyofnine, um, Twitter, symphonyofnine, Facebook, symphonyofnine. And then also you can hit up my personal stuff, Scott Dion Brown, D-I-O-N um, Brown. Uh, I spell my Dion different than your Dion. Is that a is that a stage thing, or did let you come up with that, or is that your actual? Uh, actually, it's my actual little name. Oh yeah, um, yeah. My my grandfather on my mom's side's name was Dionisio, mm-hmm. and my parents, when they were naming me, they just came up with the idea of cutting that in half and giving me Dion. So it's not even like Scott Dionisio Brown. It's they they actually on the birth certificate wrote Scott Dion Brown. Oh, that's interesting. The way I spell it is D I O N N E, as you would know, which is either a French last name. Mm-hmm. Or a black man's first name. Um, what are you going to play for us? I'm going to play an acoustic version, obviously, of a, a Symphony of Nine track called In Control. And it's not even out yet because we're. it's actually 95% finished in terms of recording it. I've just got to finish mixing it and mastering it and then we'll be releasing it. But uh, this is the first time it's ever been played acoustically. Whoa, Lemon Press exclusive. exclusive yeah. We'll find out after if it was a good idea or not. All right, man. Thank you so much. And whenever you're ready.
Wave goodbye to those you love And sail on down the river When the waters get too rough I hear your quiet swimmer And if you feel you've had enough You're my dinner Do you feel Like you're on your own Do you feel Like you're twelve years old Do you feel That's when I feel In control Traffic jams and broken bones Nothing goes to plan Some get lost and some get choked But I just see a dance Do you feel Like you're on your own? Do you feel When I feel in control It's hard to live so past a day Scott Dion Brown. Oh, my God. That was awesome. Nicely done. Uh, the song is In Control by Symphony of Nine, acoustic version. Uh, not out yet. Not out yet, but coming soon. Follow us on Twitter. I'll, it'll be on there. Either, either me or, or, uh, or the band Twitter will be on there.
Bro, thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough. I'd love to have you again. We'll do it part two when the movie comes out because there's so much more we can get into and we'll dissect the movie and uh, no spoilers, but we'll promote it. And uh, Man, okay, thanks again and I uh, hope to see you soon. Thanks for having me. And watch your head. It's such a beautiful waste of time. A waste of time. And there she is, another one in the books. Thanks to my guest, Scott Dion Brown, for dropping by uh, the studio for a great chat. And thanks to you for listening, always you. Remember to email the show, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at jdcomedyhour. And like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash, you know, Hour. We're back. We're back on a regular schedule. We're back full-time. New episodes coming at you every Tuesday and Friday. Tune in next week on Tuesday for my guest, uh, with my guest, Ryan Horwood. A great chat with a great actor, comedian. It's a fun time. We've got a lot of good things coming up, so keep tuning in, spreading the word, spreading the love. I think that's everything. Yes. Yes, it is. And as always... Watch your head. Waste of time. A beautiful waste of time. It's just a waste of time. The way